0: yourself Trey thank you and um, we have Trey Carlin here very nice of you to join us I really appreciate doing this with you Mm -hmm. and uh, I sent out an email which you know some of you I know don't necessarily open these emails but anyway Trey has a great website and um, a podcast called question the orthodox and uh, he does Something called Zen Mountain Tours, which I'm hoping to take advantage of in a few weeks. I'm planning to be down in Asheville around May 8th. Um, so look forward to meeting you in person. And um, and today, uh, I I really uh, want to talk about anything that's interesting and important to you, but also uh, really take a look at your second book, Finding Peace Everywhere. But Maybe, maybe it would be good, if you would like to, to just give us a little bit of your background, your history, whatever, whatever brought you to this moment, as far as you can tell.
1: Okay. Yeah. So, it kind of started in 2003, and I started having these periodic, what I was calling at the time, revelation spells. I didn't have any interest in spirituality back then, so I didn't have a frame reference for what was going on, but sort of out of the blue, this sense of clarity would just dawn on on me, and there would be this overwhelming peace and, and sense that everything finally made perfect sense. It was almost like the secret of life had just been revealed to me. And during these moments, my thoughts would just kind of drift away and there would just be this stillness and this felt sense of, yes, it makes perfect sense. And then after about a minute or so, they would disappear. And I was left wondering, what was it? The secret of life was here a second ago, and now I can't remember what it was. Um, So that, that elicited some curiosity about what was going on. But at that point in time... Life just kind of kept me busy, and these things would happen periodically without any known cause. And eventually, one of those little revelation spells ended in a grain mall seizure. And I got, my wife called 911, I got rushed to the hospital, and the doctor said, you had a seizure. And I'd never heard of such a thing before, no history of that. But at that point in time, the seizures started coming more frequently. So grain mall seizures just started happening, and I got put on medication to control them. But that's really where this curiosity was born, because after that, having no prior interest in anything in particular, I just started devouring books. And one of the first books I picked up was this comparative religions textbook. And I really wanted to find the meaning of life that I glimpsed in these little revelation spells. So I started looking in spiritual texts, looking for answers, and I was reading simultaneously about a dozen books at a time. So I was covering everything from neuroscience to spirituality and everything in between, just trying to find the meaning of life. Um, and eventually I stumbled across the idea of might in these books. And I think it may have been Halloween versus Ford, David Hawkman's first book. And that really struck a chord. So then I just started focusing all my time and energy on reading books just
0: on spiritual awakening. And realized that this is what I've been looking for my whole life without really knowing. And this this Trey, this would have been around two thousand three or four, something like that.
1: Yeah, I think it was 2004 I started actually having the gray Mall season. and then by 2005 it was really near my I, I served. Um, okay. started writing, too, around 2006 or so. It was almost like reading these things that resonated deeply became there was something I just wanted to write. And that's how I was kind of processing these, these insights that were coming through reading these different books. Um, And I got really passionate about Eckhart Tolle's work at that point in time, too. So he became a big influence as I started just deepening my understanding of what this whole awakening business was about. And I think it was 2007, I had my first big awakening experience that finally gave me this experiential glimpse of what all these books were about. And at that point in time, it was like, I finally got the cosmic view. You are what you see. And you're not going to find it because it's like looking for your glasses while you're waiting. And that experience lasted a good day, just, just so much clarity and bliss and energy. And at that point in time, the, the writing seemed to start happening more. It's like this has to be shared with a broader audience. So I created a blog and I started writing and blogging, uh, Created this little email list, trying to get other people interested in it because I felt like this is... Something the world needs to know
2: about.
1: <clears throat> and eventually that led to me creating this, it started an Eckert Tolle Industry Group. I mean, started back in 2007. Weekly meetings started bringing people in, getting them interested, and meditate, listen to some Eckert stuff, and then just discuss. Um, and that eventually led to me forming this Ashkel song online community to help connect all these people in the area are interested in spiritual awakening, so kind of kind of snowballed from there, I guess. And the writing continued. And at, my first book I published it was in the 2011, I think it was. It was a collection of writings that happened over that span of time. And it was almost like a trail of breadcrumbs I was leaving for myself. It was like the book was being written for my benefit, not really by me. And the writings would just come, happen, and it was like trying to find my way back to this. This presence, whatever you want to call it. And um, then I guess in, uh, in 2000, the first book, The Seeker's Guide to Inner Peace, was a collection of notes to sell. All these blog posts that were just, uh, in effect, showing how these teachings were impacting my daily life. And um, a lot of people resonated with what was being written, so that was the encouragement I to just keep writing. And then the writing kind of slacked up a bit, I and mean, the second book took a long time to complete because it was, writing wasn't happening years often at that point, but as the, uh, I don't know, as the recognition and the deepening started to really flare up, self-inquiry came alive in a couple of years ago, and that really seemed to start leading to deeper insights, more peace, um, and... Even in the midst of all these chaotic life situations, there remains this background of peace, this, this recognition that all this is happening for me. And Byron Katie's work is really influential as well. All her, all her words really struck a chord as well. And so I was, I think one of the chapters in the first book was just a collection of quotes from Byron Katie because I felt like her words really needed to reach a broader audience as well. You know. But as self inquiry started really taking root a couple of years ago, it became more and more clear this was an easy way, so to speak, to just connect with this awareness that's always here, always present, never moves. And so that's where a lot of inquiry questions came up just like spontaneously arriving and deepening this recognition. Um,
2: yeah.
1: And eventually I said book two was ready to go back last than last year, and I thank you very much for your help and, and looking it over and giving your feedback on it. Sure. You know, it was, uh, it was a long time coming, but feel you know, feel really good about it.
0: I think it's a great book. I'm I was delighted to be able to read it and write the uh, forward, and um, and I've learned a lot from participating in your online group every Tuesday night at 6.30 to 8.30 and also reading your book. Mm. And uh, you introduced me to a a form of self-inquiry that I really wasn't aware of and learned a lot and benefited from doing it. It's very helpful, I think, for people who are drawn to that kind of practice. You know, and I I know some people here might not be, but, you know, over this past year, we've done an awful lot of group Uh, discussion of Ramana Maharshi and Anamalaswamy and and this self-inquiry this questioning Which is also very very similar to the the Zen practice uh, of Mm -hmm. Mu like what is Mu who is Mu where is Mu? Where is Mu when you're sleeping all of these kinds of questions, so that's a great summary so just just to recap very briefly it sounds like around Two thousand three or four, you started having what were mild epileptic seizures, which gave you an altered experience of reality and piqued your curiosity about awakening is that is that right and then yeah. and then a grand mall seizure in two thousand four is that right uh, the grand Mall happened in two thousand three two thousand three okay.
1: And the, um, once they started, once I started seeing neurologists and describing these revelation spells, they said those are partial complex seizures. Mm-hmm. And the test results, they really had no idea what the cause was. The only thing they could tell is that the seizure activity was happening in the left temporal lobe. Okay. So that led me to researching a lot about that. And a lot of researchers were saying the left temporal lobe was connected to spiritual experiences. Mm-hmm um and that just really piqued my curiosity even more.
0: Yeah, I I I mentioned to Trey early on that uh I'm aware that Dostoevsky, you know, uh had seizures and and mystical experiences and so I, it's interesting how these this path gets triggered in different people. And the book that you seem to resonate with right off the bat, David Hawkins, was that Power versus Force? Do you remember?
1: Yeah, in fact, I read that book, and then just so happy there was David Hockney's meetup group in the area, and um, so I started going to that and good mm-hmm. friends. And I think I read all nine of his books at that point in time. He had quite a few. Yeah,
0: me too. Yeah. I, I think I don't know if I mentioned this to you, but I, I had th- this last sh- major shift from reading Power versus Force. It seemed to trigger it in 2002 and. And then I read everything he wrote. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I found him. To, I mean, he was just pivotal for me also. And I've run into several other people, uh, leaving the two of us out, who seem to have awakenings triggered by reading that book. So, yeah. Very interesting guy. Very pivotal figure for me also. But, so, two thousand. What was 2007? What was, what was, that was when your first book came out?
1: 2007 was when the first big awakening happened. That was the
0: first big awakening, okay. And how, can you describe that a little bit for us?
1: Yeah, I was in the passenger seat of our car, because at that point in time, I wasn't able to drive. You have to go six months without a seat before you can drive, so... I actually spent three and a half years in the passenger seat of the car, which was wonderful for me because I drove everywhere at that point.
0: It's humbling humbling for a man, isn't it? I mean, most of us are raised to think we have to be in the driver's seat, right? At least I was. Maybe it's just Southern men. I don't know. But Anyway, it's humbling. I drove all the time and
1: really never got to enjoy the scenery. And so finally I was relegated to the passenger seat of the life. It was a really good lesson in surrender, because at that point in time, you know, you're giving your life over to somebody else. And my wife is not what we'd say the, uh, well, I don't want to criticize her driving, but she tends to follow too close for this particular character's liking. So there was a real adjustment period there at first, and then this relaxation came as I started looking around and just taking in all the scenery I'd never seen before. Mm-hmm. And that allowed me to just sit back and enjoy the ride,
0: and not wow. stress over it. It's like a Maybe. surrender practice, right?
1: Pretty much, yeah. yeah. And I think surrender resonated quite a bit on the path too. Eckhart Tolle talks a lot about surrender, but with epilepsy, that's life's way of saying you have no control. You are at the mercy of whatever this is. And coming to terms with that was challenging, but. Did what it needed to do. Yeah, I'm not in control here, and that helped pave the way, I think, for this this easing back, this letting go, mm-hmm. and taking it all in, and just really, I was noticing all sorts of things that I'd never noticed before. Before I'm becoming fascinated with all these things, and the day of the uh, first big awakening experience, I was just staring out the window, we were driving, meditating, and I started feeling this warm tingling sensation coming up through my body. And there was a little bit of uh, a little bit of fear there, like, "Am I about to have a seizure? Is that what's going on here?" And as that energy started intensifying, there was this silent voice that just said, "You're doing it
0: for humanity," and I felt. As You're as doing as it a, for humanity. Is that what mm-hmm. you
1: said? Yeah, okay. So the silent voice said, you're doing it for humanity, and it felt like there was this gentle push off backwards off of the cliff, and then just letting go. And at that point in time, the energy just got so intense, it felt very orgasmic. And and I just started laughing for no reason. And then everything took on this whole new clarity. There were no more labels or storage for everything the alive, rich colors of all the trees and everything just became so alive. And even though it was a stretch road I'd been on a million times before, it was the first time I'd ever seen a video. And I just was sitting in the passenger seat and this, this, all these little downloads you know, about all other people being projections. And they, you know, so many downloads just came. And there was this, this sense that this background of awareness that's always been here can just be, we'll say, accessed, sort of, it will. At that point in time, it felt almost like I could step back into this, and then if I was called to action or somebody asked me a question, it was almost like coming back in effortless words, just came without any sense of stress or am I saying the right thing? It was just this natural flow. Mm-hmm. And I realized too all these the judgments of things really were created, um, we'll say negative relationships. Because that on the drive, I felt I smelled this really potent skunk smell, and it it was instantly recognized that there's nothing wrong with that skunk smell. It's a story we've been told that smells bad. When without that story, it's kind of an interesting aroma, It's sort of floral in the way. Man. So all these recognitions came and I was feeling great pleasure that day of everything I did from folding, laundry, to eating, it was just like the first time everything was being done and appreciated for, for what it all is. Just this, and seeing it without a story too, without a story of all I got to do the laundry, it was just this natural unfolding. That's and it lasted cool. for the day, the next day I was getting ready for a business trip and and the mind came in and started doing this thing. So then there was this sense of I had it and I lost it. That went on for a bit. But at that point in time, I'd read enough books to know that trying to recreate that was just more seeking. It wasn't even yeah. help. It's
0: a gift. It's always I think it's grace, and you don't know, create it. And you know, you you can't make it happen. You can you know just it just is. It just happens of its own. But it sounds like an awful lot of powerlessness for a few years. That was really probably helpful and pivotal. Yeah, and uh, I've I've talked you know here and in my book and about panic attacks and the you know the similar effect they had on me to what the seizures had for you. They just made it very clear that I'm not the boss of this situation. And even though the reason they lasted so long is I kept trying to be the boss, I I would say. is like, if there's one thing that you need to do with panic, it's not try to be in in charge. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's that's how people go from having one or two panic attacks to having hundreds, is they try to make it go away. Mm -hmm. And I would imagine that was um, similar for you with your seizures, trying not to have one do you know sort of magical thinking as if you could do that you know but then you just it sounds like you just learned to surrender and that last moment of being sort of pushed off the cliff by the presence of god or whatever you want to call it that you didn't seem like you had a lot of terror at that moment so you were you were ready for it yeah, That that can be a terrorizing moment but you did it for humanity so that's that's awesome there <laughs> yeah. you go off the cliff Mm -hmm. super cool that's 2007 and then yeah do you is there anything you want to add about in between then and now i know you did started the self-inquiry seriously a couple years ago anything else that went on that you think has been helpful in terms of deepening and integrating all of this
1: well, it seems like there's more deepening to, to do. At this point in time, there still feels like this identity of prey. It seems to have its own habitual attention to go there. And so it's easy to get lost in that that sense of being the doer. Despite having all these glimpses and deepening recognition, I'd say there's there's more to go. And even since I published the second book, the Days in January, even since then there's been more interesting so there's uh who knows maybe it never ends but the the inquiry definitely helped pave the path or so it seems but it also seems like there's this
0: just waiting for grace to happen yeah if not if individual what you do to bring this about or we do it yeah that's my sense of it too it's like um to me, it's an endless path. I know not everybody sees it that way, but that's how it seems to me. And I don't have any problem with that. That's fine. Um, there can be an endless deepening and integration and embodiment and learning to live in the world fully present for what is and accepting what is. I and mean, as Byron Katie says, loving what is. And to me, that I, I, I don't know. All I can, I'm like you, all I can say is what I know at this point in time. But for me, it's a continuous evolving with new realizations showing up, new understanding, new glimpses, and, and a continual awareness of the remaining self-identity uh, showing up. So, uh, every, I guess everyone has their own unique experience, but mine is very similar, I would say, to what you're describing. And, and the continuing nature of it, you know, the, great. Yeah. Does anybody have any uh, questions, reactions, observations you want to share with Trey or with my, with us?
2: I'd be interested to hear uh, Trey if you've done any um, looking into um, how, how your seizures um, relate or compare to, to to other people in history like Falstaff who. who um, And how that connects with with your awakening. Do you have any any, um, opinion about
1: that? Yeah, one of the first things that happened after I was diagnosed with epilepsy, a friend of mine said something about he knew a number of shamans that also had epilepsy. There was something in there. So then I started reading a lot about shamans, and that kind of, I was deeply interested in that for a while. Because it is sort of a mystical experience. I mean, you yeah. might say glimpses into whatever this higher, I would not like to put words on it, but it, it seems as if these, my take on it is that this particular body mind organism was receiving these downloads that the body wasn't quite, we'll say, ready for. And this inner, energetic eruption brought about by these glimpses often led to seizure activity. And for a long time, there the connection between epilepsy and enlightenment was really fascinating. There was a sense that enlightenment would, in effect, lead to the end of epilepsy as the body began to integrate these these insights or glimpses and learn to not completely spaz out, when something like that happened. It seemed as if the body just needed time to to integrate the teachings, and that the procedure activity was a result of also the body not quite being ready. So, and that's kind of a story, Who knows if it's true or not, but there seems to be some connection, at least from my perspective, between the spiritual experience and the eruption of the seizure. Some people respond differently to these little insights and in this particular character seems to result in seizure activity. Mm. But it also seems like this epilepsy is a grand mal seizure just losing complete control of your body. And since over the years these recognitions have led to this knowing that we don't have any control anyway. This idea of free will is just an illusion. And even neuroscience is now showing how your body is going, knows what it's doing, going to do, eight seconds before the mind does. So these studies they're doing have sort of illustrated the lack of free will, and in effect, you could say that we're all having seizures all the time, and they're just more controlled. They oftentimes just look like getting drink the water instead of falling down on the floor and convulsing. but in effect the body's got its own mind its own intelligence and it's going to do whatever it needs to do with or without the mind's
0: permission it's uh i look I, I just want to make a couple of comments on that one in terms of shamanism which i also got very deeply involved in and became you know realized was recognized that i was a shaman um, by another shaman who trained then trained me um, but I, I you know traditionally shamans were selected usually uh, among the ones who survived a direct hit by lightning um, that was one way you became a shaman so of course in other words your brain is fried your whole nervous system is fried That was one of the traditional routes to being a shaman another was to i would say to have a psychotic episode just really be completely out of your mind um and there were probably other ways but uh, it was you were selected for it by some really uh, major life event Um, so that's just just one thought and the other one is your your idea that the nervous system just wasn't ready to handle the level of energy coming through it is, is I think what you were saying. And that's, that's an idea that I've had also for a long time that, in fact, that's what I came to think of as the dark night. The dark night of John of the Cross is the period of time between the first glimpse of a non-dual awareness and the full integration and embodiment of it. In that period of time, uh, all kinds of stuff goes on. And I, for me, it was around 25 years. And I eventually began to see that that was really, ultimately, what was going on with all the panic attacks and other kinds of depression and life challenges and all kinds of problems. That And I think it shows up in different people in different ways. But that's, I do think the nervous system has to biologically change and adapt to be able to accommodate this energy. And uh, maybe it actually... Uh, can even help precipitate seizures. I don't see any reason it couldn't. But I think it's it's different for everybody, but a lot of people go through some some version of all you know, major medical issues, psychological issues, financial issues, career issues. And they have a life of their own, for one thing. I mean you have to with epilepsy, of course you have to see a neurologist and be evaluated and take medication, but So they have that level, but at another level, they're also part of the spiritual path. Um, At least they can be and often are. And it's just another way of looking at the trials and tribulations we all go through. That, in a way, uh, major disruptions can be seen as a, a sign that you're seriously engaged with the spiritual path. So... That's, that's an interesting way of thinking about it, and I appreciate it. That's very similar to what I eventually came up with and I remember meeting a guy who was like an expert on John at the Cross, which I certainly was not, and I ran that idea by him, and he totally agreed with it, which was interesting to me. It's like I just it sort of just came to me out of like a revelation out of nowhere, but whatever comes that way, I just trust and accept and i don't I don't question it, but it's nice to hear that maybe there's something to it. <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah thank you thanks george did you have anything other follow up did you want to do with that Just, um just
2: that um just as a a, a, reference, a point of reference um ian mcgilchrist and uh, have you you're familiar with him ian mcgilchrist yeah i don't know him he, um he, i think he's doing um a lot of study between the brain hemispheres and um he writes he, he's pretty prolific he's uh he was a professor of literature and then became a psychologist or a psychiatrist, you know, and a philosopher, and, um, but, um, it's um, it, it just, I think both of you find it really, uh, interesting his talks and his books.
0: Um, okay. Thank you. Yeah. Ian McGilchrist. Sure. All right. Yeah. I think this is a very biological path. I, I, I've said, yeah. and I, and I think that's not often Uh, stressed enough maybe that this is this is not just mental or emotional it's it's the body is fully involved in it and uh, I think that's really really important and and not really under appreciated maybe Uh, maybe in the Kundalini literature it's more appreciated that you know Kundalini awakening is going to have a lot of biological manifestations yes Lenny you have a question
3: yeah, my particular variation on this has been autoimmune attacks. I had the first one when I had my first big shift in 1976, and I didn't get out of bed for five months after that. And they, I have what's called uh, Reiter's syndrome, which is some kind of uh, um, reactive arthritis, which is uh, every time I have anything resembling uh, uh, even a little samadhi, I, my my, uh, my immune system goes running running up, and I could even detect it. The last one I detected within minutes of uh, of it, and I called the doctor right away and got uh, prednisone started. And uh, hmm. the doc- I found the doctor was very responsive to um, to what's going on with me. Hmm. And, uh, so these
0: sh- so a real shift in consciousness triggers the writer's attacks. is that right?
3: yeah and it, well, even right now at this point, it's the slightest shift I mean there was a that was a little Samadhi that would, that did that and uh and and I could just detect right in the moment of the Samadhi uh oh, here I go again
0: <laughs> takes a lot of uh courage to persist in the face of that. it seems to me, like you have to. Re- but that's that's always true, but yeah. I mean, you keep working at it and having samadhis in spite of that, yeah. What else did I I don't know. I just, uh, yeah, yeah. That's very cool. Yeah. I mentioned here once, I know, for those familiar with uh, um, uh, Teresa of Avila, you know, when she first went into the convent, she spent the first six years in sickbay. She never got out of bed for six years. Um, interest to me it's an interesting story and there's you know of course some of you are aware of Ajishanti said I think three major periods of six months or so that he was uh, disabled by different one was um, uh, Bell's palsy and I forgot what the other times were but the, these things are very real very very uh, it's very biological and maybe that's one thing that it just I feel like mentioning. Today, listening to you talk, Trey, is uh, the body has to come along. Uh, you know, you can't get there with just the mind or just the emo- emotions. So, yeah, thanks, to, thanks to all of you. George, did you did you want to say something else?
2: I, I couldn't. Uh, I just had an uh, interest in well, your uh, Trey's retreat, the, or the the Zen force thing that you're doing. Oh, Zen Mountain. No, do...
1: Yeah. Zen Mountain Tours, I started doing these meditation hikes a few years ago, and then I decided I would actually turn it into a business and, and try to bring tourists to visit the area. I live in Asheville, so it's a really big tourist destination. So I created Zen Mountain Tours where I take people out on these nature hikes and give them some meditation pointers. And really, you could almost call them gratitude walks because there's just this... Deepening love and reverence for life as we go through the woods together, and I shared some of my little insights along the way. And so I got these scores listed with A, B, and and I've been getting lots of great feedback from these people. And it's kind of cool to just meet or any stranger who's got a mild interest in meditation, take them on a walk to the top of a mountain, and then just be in you know, total gratitude for the entire student. And it's not like anything I do. It's just sometimes we need little reminders that it's a gift to be alive, much less have nature to endure. And pointing out that we're not separate from nature is also helpful. It's almost like reminding people what they already know deep down, and just bringing that to the surface so that they can appreciate it all without the burden of the story, about what's going on, so it's been, it's been a fun thing. I've done a few uh, Reiki hikes. I became a Reiki practitioner a while back. Partly because I had this fingering awakening a few years ago, too, and it was, it was kind of strange, but I went to this fingering yoga class, sort of interested, curious, and then a couple of days later, all of a sudden, this energy started forcing up and down my spine, and head, very potent. And for a few months there, um, it was pretty consistent. And then it gradually faded and became something that I could see seemingly just happen to it with. But at that point in time, this energy just, it seemed like it needed an outlet. And I figured if it could be used for healing purposes, I would give it a try. So I got trained in it. And so this this energetic experience we all have, it became more available. And so using that on hikes sometimes is fun to do. But people seem to get a lot of peace out of that.
0: And
1: it's more like I'm just I'm just a vehicle for support and whatever I can do to help anybody along the way. It's, it's kind of what the writing is like trying to share this with more people so that there's a growing interest in what I think is everybody really looking for. We're looking, we're all looking for peace and happiness, but it takes a while. For some people to figure out that various and of activities and relationships aren't going to bring that about. From my experience, there's only one thing that's going to bring that about, and it's self recognition, whatever you want to call it, put a word on it, but realizing that this moment is already complete and whole and mean nothing.
2: Yeah. That's interesting. Um, sorry. Uh, I don't know if you're planning on it, but the, the self-inquiry that you mentioned earlier that, that Trey does, mm-hmm. that you found interesting. Yes. Would you be able to have time to go into that at all? Yeah, yeah, that? we can go into that now.
0: Yeah, you want to talk about that a little bit, Trey, your 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 experience with self-inquiry in the last couple of years?
1: Yeah, I think it was, I want to say three or four years ago, it started off with Watching a lot of Muji videos at that point in time and it started really taking root. And then I met this other in-grade teacher. It's been one of those things where when the student's ready, the teacher appeared. So it went from one teacher to another teacher. To another teacher. Um, and so for a couple of years there, it was uh, Muji, then this uh, teacher moved to town, Nick Donsitanu, and I sat with him for a while. Who, was, who was
0: that name? What was that name after Muji? Th-
1: Nick Don Tifano, Okay. Hello. He was, he moved to the Asheville area a couple of years ago. Um, but his, uh, his approach helped, even though he had some, we'll say, rules and requirements that didn't quite resonate. Um, and then he disappeared, and Dan Kelso came on the scene with what at that point I was considering self inquiry 2.0. He calls it deep self investigation. And it's, it's a much more focused form of self inquiry where you're looking for that felt sense of I and looking to see what is this I? When I say I, what does that represent? And then trying to get in on its location. And oftentimes it feels like when you say I, it feels sort of located in the chest area. Sometimes you feel like you're located behind the eyes. And it was this almost like missile-like attention going toward wherever it felt like the sense of need. And then once you get a, a handle where you're sort of, okay, behind my, this is me, there would be the question, okay, so what's the way of that? And almost like stepping back further to recognize that this thing I'm calling me feels located behind the eyes is actually being seen from another perspective, which as new location, and in effect, getting beyond the sense of me being a localized me who's here in the world out there. So these questions were really, they started coming alive in me, and I started, questions started coming that weren't prescribed necessarily. So the BSI the created this um, using direct experience to get a hold of the sense of me and recognizing it for the illusion that it is. Recognizing that the sense of me is just arising in a field of awareness and recognizing it's like disidentifying from the sense of me and recognizing the sense of me is just another arising in a sea of
0: open awareness. Thank you. Um... Let me just read a few from your book. The book has a lot of information about this kind of deep self-investigation. I put that in the chat, and Dan, by Dan, which Dan Kilso developed. Um, this is uh, from Chapter right for Awakening. Uh, these are questions. These may be the kind of things that you came up with on your own. Uh, what if free will is just an illusion? And my whole life has been guided by a loving intelligence that knows what is best. Of course, each of these are worth sitting with for an extent period of time. <laughs> well, I'm just <laughs> going to read a few to give you an idea of, of this. What if I'm not actually doing things and that I'm being done by a power that has my best interest at heart? What if all my attempts to make things happen or work things out are in vain? Because the end result will be the same regardless. You can see how each of these point to the sense of challenging our normal perception of being in control. Right? That actually what's really happening is life is living itself through this body. What if what is happening at this moment is actually for the betterment of the universe? What if my purpose for existing is only to watch and enjoy the play of life with the knowing that it is all happening for the greater good? Now, some of these are especially helpful in the context of, you know, say, the last few years in the, in the United States. For those of us who may have had problems with what was going on. What if nothing could have been done differently to bring about a different outcome? Yeah. This was uh, something that was very, very clear to me. It just got revealed in 2002 that nothing could have been any different than it was. And even if it had been different, that doesn't mean it would have been better. Those are just notions that the mind comes up with, and you know, if you really get this in the marrow of your bones, it really pretty much eliminates fear and anxiety and worry about the future and that kind of thing, or guilt and shame about the past. Nothing else could have been any different than it was, and if it had been different, it wouldn't have been better. What if I cannot do it wrong or make any mistakes, no matter how hard I try? Yeah, I don't know how this affects you, hearing it, but to me it's it's freeing, it's liberating. It's very, 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 and it's true. What if nothing could have been done differently to bring about a different outcome, right? And what if it, and if there had been a different outcome, what makes me think it would have been better, you know? What if everything that needs to be done, will be done, regardless of planning or effort? See, the notion that we could do anything other than what we've actually done is just the minds being active and busy and essentially tormenting us. What if life is always giving me what I need in order to realize the innate perfection of all that is? There's quite a few of these stems or challenges or questions, and they're all really beautiful and powerful. I, I love it. Um, and here's some, I'll just read a few more, because you know, to me this is one of the real strengths of the book, um, and I feel like I've learned a lot from it. Inquiring into the senses. After reading each of these questions, repeat them a few times, and direct attention to where they are pointing What is looking through these eyes? What is aware of what is being seen? What is aware that seeing is happening? Is what I am seeing being seen from behind my eyes, or is it being seen where it is? Where does seeing take place? You know, some of these uh, remind me very much of the Rumi um, video that we watched uh, this week and uh, by this uh, Australian Buddhist nun that, uh, it's just so beautiful. I, I, I went back and listened to it again yesterday and I actually wrote out every single quote from Rumi because it's exactly this kind of stuff and it's really beautiful, you know and I'll put a link to that and into um, this talk when I send a link out for the talk. um, What is here prior to and in between thoughts? From where do these thoughts arise? Another way of asking this is whose thoughts are they? Or who's, who's having these thoughts? Or who hears with these ears? From where do thoughts arise? Are these thoughts appearing in my head, or are they just appearing in an aware space? Am I this aware space, or am I the thoughts? It's a trick question. It's only one right answer to that. <laughs> uh, inquiring into awareness. What does it feel like to be aware? What does the experience of just being aware feel like? So this, there's, this is really, there's a lot of this in the book, and it's really, um, to me, it's a good reason to, to buy the book by itself. Um, yeah, so does that give you some sense? I think you, you asked about that, George. I just wanted to give you some direct sense of what uh, this method of self-inquiry looks
2: like. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's just uh, something that, you know, I've been, trying to work with it and it's been um, tough going because it's not it's something that used to resonate with me very much but yeah um, how does it sound it,
0: how does it sound presented this way
2: um yeah those are seem to be all the this you know the standard questions of trying to um you know that netty netty approach mm-hmm. you know, just, right and then you know, when you when you've exhausted all possibilities mm-hmm Wherever you are, that you, know, you rest in, in that awareness. Yes. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah.
0: Good. Yeah. Um, Trey, do you want to add? You you you've really done this intensely for several years. Do you want to talk a bit more about anything with the self inquiry stuff, or amplify any of that? I
1: think some of the questions, the what if questions, I think are almost like a form of. Surrender self free, So you're not going after the sense of awareness. You're, in effect, trying on these different beliefs that counteract beliefs about being the uh, victim of life instead of the, the benefit, the beneficiary of life. Um, so the what-if questions, I think, are, are helpful when the mind needs a way to see a different perspective that's actually a little bit more in line with what's really going on, what appears to be going on. Yeah. So yeah. What if there's a gentle way of trying on a, a new perspective. Okay. Um, um, so yeah, it's a little it's different. That's something that just kind of arose. These questions were just you know, ways to sort of trying on allowing life to work through as Pirate says it does anyway. Well. So you can either argue with it and struggle with it, resist it, or just allow it to do what it needs to do, whatever form that might take. Okay.
2: okay.
1: Good. And then the other questions about inquiring into the senses, inquiring, inquiring into awareness is more like getting comfortable with the the idea that you're not a you there's not a you there, what you call me is an appearance in something we call awareness, but you can call whatever you wanna call. And getting more familiar with what it's like to see the body as a body instead of my
0: body. Yeah, yeah, and experience as experience and not my experience, yeah. Yeah, good, thank you. Anything, uh, we're, we're, it's probably, we have, we can stay a few more minutes or we can, we're pretty close to uh, ending. But is there anybody else want to mention anything, ask any questions, You make any comments? Okay. So your awakening support group is Tuesday night, 6.30 to 8.30, and they can find the links to that on your website. Is that right? And. Yeah
1: straightcarlin.com it's got links to the books the group meetings the tours the
0: podcast
1: pretty much everything
0: good I'm looking forward to doing one of these mountain tours with you in a few weeks it's gonna, yeah, that'll be fun to it. yeah yeah. yeah anybody else uh, anything you want to mention before we stop I appreciate you being here very much, Trey. It's been a pleasure knowing you. Yeah, Lenny, you have a question or a comment?
3: Yeah, there was one that you read a couple of days ago that I really liked that rang a bell for me. I'm not remembering exactly. But if the body and mind are just doing whatever they're doing, what do I have to do with
0: it? If the body and mind are just doing what they're doing, what do I have to do with it? Yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah, I read some of these a few days ago at the Daily Meditations cuz I I just love them. I think they're great and they're very uh, powerful, very profound. And really go right at challenging this central illusion of a self identity that's in charge of life and, and that should be in charge. And that if, if it's not in charge, you're already you're messing up. So. <laughs> what do I have to do with it? It's a great that's a great great question. Thanks, Lenny. All right. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I'm glad we got most of the audio sorted out. And uh, I really appreciate having gotten to know you and I appreciate you coming here today. Thank you, Katra. And uh,
3: appreciate everyone's
0: participation and presence. And, thank you. Yeah. I just want to thank
2: you, too. Thank yeah. you. Yes. Thank
0: you. Thank all. you. Yes. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thanks so much. Mm-hmm. Good to see you all. All right. It should be uh, available um, later on today, and uh, we'll be here next week, as usual, for meditation, and I'll I'll do a talk next Sunday. I may do it on this Serbian monastic, who I think is just really cool. I'm reading his book, um, Elder Thaddeus. We'll We'll see what happens. And then I'll be here a few days the following week, and then I'll be gone for a while. So... And you, you should have an email about all of that. Okay, good to see you. Thanks so much. Bye bye. And thanks for joining online. I really appreciate your presence. And your participation, your energetic presence, and uh, hope you'll be back soon. I'll be here tomorrow at 10 or two, two o'clock for meditation and Tuesday at 11. Okay, take care. Bye-bye.